We the People is sponsored by Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com people and using the promo code people. I'm Jeffrey Rosen, President and CEO of the National Constitution Center, and welcome to We the People, a weekly show of constitutional debate. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America chartered by Congress to disseminate information about the U.S. Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. And today we look at the 14th Amendment, in particular the Citizenship Clause, which states, and I'm quoting now from my handy National Constitution Center pocket constitution, quote, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. The question of birthright citizenship has a long and complex history in our country, and we'll address that in today's show. The current controversy concerns the children of immigrants living in the United States illegally. Are these children entitled to full automatic U.S. citizenship, regardless of their parents' immigration status, or not? Some prominent voices say no. In an appearance on the O'Reilly Factor, the Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump suggested that he would challenge the citizenship granted to these children. Uh, and here's what he said, quote, Many lawyers are saying that's not the way it is in terms of this. He's talking about the 14th Amendment. It's not going to hold up in court. It's going to have to be tested. Uh, whatever the answer, which we will debate today, we know that the answer matters. According to the Pew Research Center, in 2008, 340,000 of the 4.3 million babies born in the United States were the offspring of unauthorized immigrants. In total, 4 million U.S.-born children of unauthorized immigrant parents resided in this country in 2009. Joining us to shed light on this fascinating and important question are two of the world experts on the citizenship uh, question and two extremely distinguished constitutional scholars. Bernadette Myler is the Carl and Sheila Spaeth Professor of Law at Stanford Law School, where she's a scholar of British and American constitutional law and of law and the humanities. Bernie also participated in a fantastic conference about the Declaration of Independence in April at the National Constitution Center, which you can watch at constitutioncenter.org slash debate. And William Maiden is the Thomas J. Simmons Professor Emeritus of Law at the Emory University School of Law, where he taught constitutional and administrative law for many years. He's also author of the forthcoming book, The Sustainers, Citizens of the United States, which deals with the Citizenship Clause and the 14th Amendment. Uh, Bernie, Bill, it's a pleasure to welcome you to We the People, and let's jump right in uh, with you. Um, Bernie, if I could ask you, uh, what is the claim that the Citizenship Clause does grant birthright citizenship to the children born in the U.S. of illegal immigrants? Well, thank you, first of all, so much for having me on this program. It is, in, as you're saying, a very timely topic. And in fact, the question of birthright citizenship has been timely over and over again um, over the past decades. Um, there have been a lot of claims um, like uh, Trump's to uh, assert that there shouldn't be birthright citizenship or that birthright citizenship doesn't exist under the Constitution. And each time um, those claims have uh, been tamped down by reference to precedents and to the 14th Amendment. So to get to the question of what the 14th Amendment does guarantee. So um, as you said, the language is that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Now, the claim is that 
what that means is that all persons born in the United States, um, unless they are the children of foreign diplomats who are explicitly only in the country temporarily, um, are going to be citizens of the United States. Now, um, the phrase subject to the jurisdiction thereof has been subject to fair amount of debate um, from the time of the 14th Amendment to the most important case resolving the birthright citizenship question, United States against Wong Kim Ark, which was decided in 1898. And then also it has been uh, subject to continuing debate uh, after that uh, in terms of whether it should be construed the way that the Wong Kim Ark court uh, did construe it. Now, what the Wong Kim Ark court said is that subject to the jurisdiction thereof means subject to the authority of the United States. So um, someone who is born of Chinese parentage in the United States is subject to the jurisdiction of the United States because U.S. laws apply to that person, U.S. laws govern that person, um, they're under the control of the United States. So they are born subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. They're not born subject to the jurisdiction of the Chinese emperor um, who they might be under the allegiance of, but jurisdiction really is a territorial jurisdiction and it's a legal jurisdiction. So that's what the Wang Kim Ark case established, and that's um, in part what is disputed by some people who argue against the idea of birthright citizenship in the United States. Now, talking about the 14th Amendment itself, it's interesting looking at the congressional debates leading up to ratification of the 14th Amendment because um, there was a notion, at least among some of the senators who were debating it, that actually birthright citizenship was already guaranteed in the United States, even without this amendment, that uh, this amendment was just making explicit what already was part of the culture and had only been called into question with respect to African Americans in the Dred Scott case, the infamous Dred Scott case. So a lot of the senators actually thought that the language of the citizenship clause of the 14th Amendment was just stating what was already a truism about American citizenship and that it was citizenship by birth rather than by descent. Now, the alternative is – so the often people talk about you solely versus you sanguine citizenship. The alternatives are citizenship by birth in the territory, um, which is you solely – or citizenship only by descent, which is sanguinous. And now a lot of countries have a mix of those two, but I, we are one of the countries that retains a more pure Yosoli conception of citizenship. Thank you so much for that comprehensive uh, introduction to our fascinating subject. Bill, I'd like your response on several levels. Uh, Bernie talked about both the text of the 14th Amendment and the meaning of that crucial phrase, subject to the jurisdiction thereof, and also the Wam Kim Ark case and its construction. Can you give the argument on the other side? Um, in what sense might the phrase subject to the jurisdiction thereof, which, as Bernie noted, has been uh, interpreted to exclude the children of ministers and consuls and foreign occupying forces, how might it also be construed to exclude uh, subjects of uh, foreign states? Okay. The relevant language is all citizens born in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Now, a point just made was that before the 14th Amendment, there was some sort of a law about citizenship. Well, that's kind of right, but 
it's probably not exactly on point. Just before, well, actually, on the day that debate started in Congress on the 14th Amendment, that was the day that Congress had approved the Civil Rights Act of 1866. And that act, it's a statute, it's not the Constitutional, but that act said that all persons born in the United States are citizens of the United States unless they're subject to a uh, foreign power. Okay. So now, people in Congress wanted to put that language into the Constitution because, uh, well, the Republicans uh, then favored uh, citizenship for uh, African Americans and Chinese, and uh, Democrats did not. So Democrats, you know, might take over Congress, and, and they would uh, get rid of the civil rights act. So that the idea was to put it back, put it into the Constitution. Now. Uh, the 14th Amendment effort started with all persons born in the United States. Well, that all that had already been debated, and the Democrats had lost. Now, there was more to it. And let me tell you the thing that started the more to it part. Uh, Senator Wade of Ohio had said that the first sentence of the U-14th Amendment should simply say all persons, no, he, he didn't say all persons. He said persons born in the United States were citizens of the state in which they are born. And just that. As soon as he said that, he understood that that offering had a whole lot of opposition in the Senate. That, that's, that's where the point was first made. And at that point, Senator Fessenden, who was chairman of the Senate, uh, or rather of the Congress Reconstruction Committee, got up and asked, a modest, a modest question, which simply was, what about the parents of persons, I'm sorry, what about the parents of, of children born in the United States? And, of course, uh, uh, Wade had no uh, answer to that question. And, and, and then what happened was that... Uh, the Senate went into a uh, a caucus for about four, uh, five about four days, and out of that Congress, out of that caucus, we got the present language, which is that all persons born in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Now, again, there's no problem. There was then. There is no problem now with the first part, born in the United States. I mean, it, 
it's what it is. I mean, you're either born here or you are not. But then, those two clauses are separated by an and. You have to be. You have to meet them both. Well, certainly, subject to the jurisdiction included Fessingdon's question. You know, you, you can't be here as a tourist and have a a child here and gain birthright citizenship for that child. They didn't even have to debate that. But there was a lot. There was a whole lot left. I mean, what, what if the... Well, one, the parents in birthright, in birthright citizenship, the parents are the main players. That was agreed on. You do. You read the whole legislative history, and yeah, the parents uh, count. They are the uh, players, and there's a lot about them. They have to be. Well, let's just say that they have to be law-abiding. Law-abiding. That's great. I'm going to stop there because it's such a powerful point, and I want Bernie to respond to the central claim that the 1866 Civil Rights Act, which you quoted, uh, gives a, a particular construction about subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Let's quote it again. The Civil Rights Act said, all persons born in the United States and not subject to any foreign power, excluding Indians not taxed, are hereby declared to be citizens of the United States. Bernie Bill says that this means uh, that uh, if you are subject to a foreign power, then you can't be a birthright citizen. And there are subsequent cases confirming that interpretation, including the Slaughterhouse case, which noted that the main purpose of the Citizenship Clause was to establish the citizenship of African Americans, and the phrase subject to its jurisdiction was intended to exclude from its operation children of ministers, consuls, and citizens or subjects of foreign states born within the United States. Tell us about that textual argument and also about the Slaughterhouse precedent. Great. Thanks so much. So, in terms of the relation between the Civil Rights Act and the 14th Amendment, I think it's very significant that actually they've rejected the language of the Civil Rights Act. They considered and rejected the language of the Civil Rights Act in the language of the 14th Amendment. So that instead of including – so had they meant to exclude all those who were subject to a foreign power or a foreign allegiance in the 14th Amendment – they could have used exactly the same language, which they did consider in, as in the Civil Rights Act. Instead, they decided to only use the language subject to the jurisdiction thereof, subject to the jurisdiction of the United States, which didn't exclude all those who were subject to a foreign power. And I think one example in particular is very salient with respect to what at least some of those, and I think that it's hard to say that there was a consensus about what everyone meant with the phrase subject to the jurisdiction thereof, and that's why it gets uh, played out in legal decisions um, subsequent to the 14th Amendment. But I think at least some of the senators intended subject to the jurisdiction to be much less exclusive of those born of foreign parentage than the Civil Rights Act language would be. And I think the example of um, Chinese Americans is very salient here because there was a lot of discussion about what would happen to children of Chinese laborers or Chinese immigrants um, once this 
amendment was passed, and there was a lot of fear about whether they would become citizens under this clause. And several of the senators said, sure, yeah, they'll become citizens, and I don't see what the problem is. Um, And so that's exactly um, the situation where someone is born subject to a foreign power. Certainly the emperor of China wasn't about to uh, relinquish authority over those subjects, and yet they're also subject to the jurisdiction of the United States and therefore are citizens of the United States. Now, with respect to the slaughterhouse cases, I mean, I think that there are a lot of ways in which the slaughterhouse cases um, have been seen as actually not implementing the original intent of the 14th Amendment, but in fact taking a much more restrictive view about what the 14th Amendment guaranteed than uh, than was actually originally intended. And certainly scholars, you know, across the political spectrum have revisited um, the slaughterhouse cases, decisions about uh, privileges and immunities and what privileges and immunities meant, and uh, said that actually that was probably too narrow a construction of what federal privileges and immunities meant. So I, my view is that the slaughterhouse cases, even if uh, there was this language about uh, meaning subject to the jurisdiction, meaning not subject to a foreign power, I just think that's wrong, and I think that the the slaughterhouse cases themselves have been shown in retrospect not to be entirely reflective of what the 14th Amendment itself um, meant at the time. Now, I think also certainly the argument was circulating. I mean, one of the interesting phenomena about the 14th Amendment is that the definitive meaning of subject to the jurisdiction thereof is never resolved by the Supreme Court really until the Wong Kim Ark case in 1898. And so for about 30 years after the ratification of the amendment, there are a lot of discussions about what subject to the jurisdiction thereof means. And certainly there is this um, kind of internationalist view that says, well, other countries mean uh, by subject to the jurisdiction, or other countries uh, talk about allegiance. And so we have to look at the country of allegiance, which is the country uh, in which the parents were born or the country uh, to which the parents are citizens. Um, And so that is the necessary meaning of subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Um, And then others uh, sort of picked up on the slaughterhouse cases and said, look, you know, very little can be the subject of federal citizenship. Much more has to do with state citizenship. So we can't really think that uh, the 14th Amendment citizenship clause is granting much citizenship. It has to be decided on a state-by-state basis. So I think all of those debates wind up getting resolved ultimately in the Wong Kim Ark case, but it does take 30 years of debate before Wong Kim Ark comes out and says, actually, no, those who are born within the jurisdiction of the United States, which means within the territorial jurisdiction of the United States, are citizens. Wonderful. Well, Bill, uh, Bernie uh, accurately notes that the slaughterhouse cases have indeed been criticized by scholars and judges on all sides of the political spectrum from justice Clarence Thomas to Akila Mar of Yale Law School, and she said really the crucial decision is Wang Kim Ark, which based its interpretation of the citizenship clause on its understanding of English law. It observed that under English law at the time of the founding and the adoption of the 14th Amendment, anyone born in England would be considered a subject to the crown regardless of their parents' nationality. Do you believe uh, that the Wang Kim Ark decision is wrong and should be overturned, and if so, why? No, I think it's right. Um, 
uh, a couple things. One, uh, the slaughterhouse case. What it says about the 14th Amendment is victim. And, you know, I I go over it, but I just say, you know, it's, uh, it, it's victim and, and kind of so what. The next time the Supreme Court gets to it, the Supreme Court deals specifically specifically with subject to the jurisdiction. And what it says is that a person has to be completely subject to the law of the United States. You cannot be halfway subject to subject to the law, which has some relation to uh, the undocumented because they are not completely uh, they are in several ways uh, here inconsistent with the law. But but now there is another case which is right on point and people just miss. There is a there is a New Jersey Supreme Court decision handed down two years prior to Wankim Art. And it's, it is well. It's the same facts. You have uh, you have people, you have parents who are here in the United States. They had been here for a number of years. They had signed up for naturalization, but had never uh, uh, completed the course. And they have a kid. Is that uh, kid a citizen? And the court said yes. And I can get into it, and and their reasoning is just right on point. But anyway, so 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 you have you have two, you have two cases, and and most people just omit the other case, even though uh, the Supreme Court in its uh, 1998 or 1898 decision refers to the uh, er, the two year earlier. Decision. Okay. The 1898 decision, well, Justice Gray was really upset with Collier. Collins, I'm sorry, Collins. And Collins uh, was in the case. Uh, he was uh, an amicus or something like that. And he had an article, and he was, he really did not like. The Chinese Americans, he did not like that they could become United States citizens. And Gray did not like that at all. And in his decision, about uh, two thirds of his decision, I mean, it's not about the, uh, it's not about the 14th Amendment. It, it just goes back and forth, and he uses, uh, he uses quotes as from the two Supreme Court, two prior Supreme Court decisions on point, Shanks and the English case, and 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 what those cases are about is that citizenship depends upon whether or not the child has quote partake has partaken of the uh, national character of the uh, parents. Now, I know that that 
majority opinion is is correct because both cases had a dissent. And in both cases, a single justice said, look, all we have to worry about, all we have to worry about is Calvin's case. But that was a, a dissent. No one, uh, you know, it was a dissent. Now, when you get to the very end of the 1898 Supreme Court decision, Gray finally says, we, the court, is, is presented with a single question. The single question is whether or not a child born to immigrants who are domiciled in the United States, can that child be a citizen? And the court, and now Gray is joined by the other seven justices and saying, yes, they can be a citizen. That's what the court comes down to. And I agree. But it doesn't. No way does that case stand for the proposition that somehow the 14th Amendment is based on Calvin's case. And if you look at the legislative history, as I have carefully, no one mentions Calvin's case. It it's just not there. No one cared about it. That is uh, great, and that is a perfect time for me to say the magic words. And now a word from our sponsor. We the People is sponsored by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. The mattress industry has inherently forced consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the customer, that would be you, we the people. Speaking of revolution, if King George had had more sleep, he might not have issued the notorious writs of assistance that sparked the American Revolution. In fact, when John Adams heard about Casper mattresses, no doubt he would have said, at that moment, the child independence was born. Casper offers an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. The mattresses have just the right sink, just the right bounce. Two technologies, latex foam and memory foam, come together for better nights and brighter days. Just $500 for a twin-size mattress and $950 for a king-size mattress. Comparing that to industry averages, that's an outstanding price. There's a risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com people and using the promo code people. All right, we're returning to our fascinating discussion about the scope of the birthright citizenship clause. Bernie, I'd like to ask you about what Congress could do in this area. Some have argued that because Congress has plenary power in the area of naturalization, uh, it could pass legislation contrary to the court's holding in Wong Kim Ark uh, that the citizenship clause grants birthright citizenship. Is that correct? No, that's not correct. So 
Uh, one thing that Wong Kim Ark says uh, towards the end of Gray's opinion, um, which uh, we were just being pointed to, is that um, the uh, that that Congress cannot uh, override the clause of the Constitution that says that all persons born in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States. And the way the reason this is so important as an assertion of the Constitution as opposed to constitution, uh, a congressional power in the Wong Kim Ark case has to do with the context of why Wong Kim Ark was bringing the case in the first place. Now, Wong Kim Ark is bringing this case because he had been excluded under the Chinese Exclusion Act. So Congress had decided that after permitting, um, after a lot of Chinese laborers had been permitted to enter the U.S., that uh, there were too many and that they were concerned for various reasons and passed these very uh, kind of nationalist and racist exclusion acts against the Chinese. And Wong Kim Ark wasn't allowed to reenter California because of these, of the exclusion acts. Now, the fact that he had his citizenship on constitutional grounds meant that despite any legislative will, he had to be readmitted. So, um, so I think that one thing we learn from Wong Kim Ark and from other cases is that Congress can't just override Supreme Court um, decisions about the Constitution. I mean, if it does, it will be uh, slapped down again by the court. I mean, something that we, uh, on a very different area that is similar, is the city of Bernie against Flores case, where um, Congress tried to increase, through the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, increase the level of scrutiny being given to burdens on religious exercise. And the court said, no, it's up to us to decide what the meaning of the Constitution is and how we implement the Constitution. So I think we'd get to a really significant separation of powers problem if Congress tried to change the meaning of birthright citizenship under the um, under the Constitution. Um, yeah. Bill, do you agree with Bernie that the no, Supreme I Court is unlikely to find, I'm just going to ask a t sort of a two-part question, do you agree that uh, Congress lacks the power to uh, grant uh, to, to deny birthright uh, citizenship contrary to Wong Kim Ark? Uh, would the Supreme Court strike down a law that purported to challenge Wong Kim Ark? And if you think it uh, would, um, do you think that the court might reconsider Wong Kim Ark uh, if presented the opportunity? Look, I, I, uh, dis I disagree with the whole uh, argument there. And, and one, the 1898 uh, decision is right. Uh, if a person is domiciled here and they lived here lawfully, and that's precisely what the uh, Supreme Court said, uh, then a child born to them, even though they're not yet a citizen, the, the child born to them is a citizen. I, I agree with that. Here's what I disagree. You cannot... Congress... Well, let me start over. Yes, the 14th Amendment is a part of the Constitution, and it tops any law that Congress might pass. But the way that Congress can provide a legal space for the undocumented 
is by naturalization. That's a separate part of the Constitution. Congress has its own power. Right now, the undocumented violate our immigration and naturalization law. But Congress can, if it wishes, and for 30 years it has has chosen not to do anything, but Congress can enact a naturalization law that will provide a space for the uh, undocumented, at the end of which they can, if they wish, and according to uh, uh, rules that Congress might then uh, set out, then they can be naturalized. And then after they are naturalized, then their kids, after that point, will be citizens under the 14th Amendment. Now, kids, the kids themselves, a ch- you, you have a child here. That child did not himself or herself violate the law. They, they were either born here or they were brought here. They didn't violate the law. So you want to give them a break. And the and the way you do it is by the naturalization law. You cannot, you cannot beat the uh, pre the last Supreme Court the last Supreme Court decision was 1898. You're not going to beat those cases. Uh, but but still. Congress can go this other route. It can go through naturalization, and it can change the naturalization law to provide a space for those of the undocumented to whom it would like to provide that space. Bernie, I hear Bill saying that Congress might, through statute, deny birthright citizenship to children of undocumented aliens, but provide an alternative mechanism for allowing the parents to be naturalized. Um, how do you think the Supreme Court would view such a statute? And, and more broadly, get, uh, assuming that Congress does attempt to deny birthright citizenship in some ways, take us through whether you think there might be any votes on the court for reexamining the traditional presumption that birthright uh, citizenship is part of the 14th Amendment. Great. Thanks so much. So I think that uh, even if Congress were to grant through the naturalization power the same extent of citizenship as the Constitution does under the 14th Amendment, that would still wouldn't be sufficient to satisfy Wankamark. And I, I disagree about the interpretation of Wankamark. I think it's quite explicit in the Gray opinion that um, it's not restricted to the children of those who are um, legally within the country, that, that citizenship is not restricted in that way, that it it's covers anyone born within the jurisdiction. And in part, the opinion really emphasizes that we don't want to have people who we say aren't born within the jurisdiction. This gets back to an earlier point about um, uh, those who are children of illegal aliens being sort of under under the, you know, whether they're under law or not under law in the U.S., we don't want to say that they're not under our jurisdiction and not under our laws, so that they are under our jurisdiction and that those who are born within the jurisdiction are going to be citizens. So I think that 
you know, I, I would disagree about the interpretation of Juan Camarque. And then what follows is that even if Congress tried to extend citizenship to the children through an act of Congress, that still wouldn't be sufficient to satisfy the constitutional minimum because they could rescind citizenship afterwards through another uh, statute. And then also it might change whether someone were considered a natural-born citizen for the purpose of the presidency. So um, the president has to be a natural-born citizen. Now, those who are children of illegal aliens would now still be eligible, I think, under Wonkin Mark plus the Natural Born Citizen Clause if that were simply – if they were naturalized by Congress, it's not clear whether or not they would be able to. This is an open debate. Um, so I think that wouldn't be sufficient. And then in terms of votes on the court for uh, for overturning Wonkin Mark, I mean, it's an interesting question. I, I'm not sure that there would be votes on the court for overturning it. Um, I – I think that my feeling is that if there were to be some revision, it would have to be through constitutional amendment. So I think that the um, probably the strongest argument I've read for not going with birthright citizenship, although I don't agree with it, is Roger Smith's and Peter Shook's argument in citizenship by consent. And they advocate for a constitutional amendment overturning Wong Kim Ark. Um, so my feeling is that um, it would be difficult to come up with votes on the court for really overturning Juan Kamar. And partly that's because I think if you do look, if you are an originalist, so some of the justices we might originally, um, we might think of as potentially being willing to overturn Juan Kamar, maybe Scalia or someone like that. I think if you are an originalist and you go back to the original meaning of the 14th Amendment and you also go back to the original meaning at the time of the founding, you do find Calvin's case really pervasively present. So um, in the early republic, um, there are a lot of citations in state courts as well as some citations in the Supreme Court to Calvin's case, which is the uh, 1608 English case that establishes subjecthood by uh, allegiance to the king and is a precedent for um, citizenship by territorial presence in the United States. And I think that there's much more uniformity among the colonies um, with respect to adherence to Calvin's case than with respect to many, many other things, including criminal procedure, et cetera. So that um, actually there is this very strong kind of common law substrate before the Constitution that then uh, kind of gets repeated in the early republic up to the Civil War with the exception of African Americans, and then is also kind of reaffirmed by the 14th Amendment um, and then again by Juan Camarque. So I think that a lot of the people who we might think of as potentially being open to reexamining Juan Camarque would find that the original meaning is such that it would be not really possible to interpret the clause differently. And in fact, they would, you know, it would require a constitutional amendment to do that. Great. Uh, Bill, um, the, the citizenship of African-Americans has come up uh, several times. And one thing that the 14th Amendment did is overturn what uh, Bernie called the notorious holding in the Dred Scott decision that even free African-Americans could not be citizens of the United States. Uh, was uh, Tawny uh, wrong to uh, make that holding? And what is uh, more broadly, tell us, has this claim that um, birthright citizenship is not guaranteed by the 14th Amendment to the children of illegal immigrants, has it been raised before in American history? And, and how have those arguments fared? 
Well, uh, uh, Jeffrey, look, uh, the Civil War and then the Civil Rights Act of 1866 and the 14th Amendment were all about overturning Dred Scott. No one has no one has a problem. No no one has a problem with that. Look, the thing uh, that, that I think I keep I am being asked is, do I agree with uh, the Wonky Mark case? Yes, I do. But now, if you, there is this part, there is this part about subject to the jurisdiction thereof. And again, what does it mean? Look, the the question that sent the Fourteenth Amendment into a caucus was the question about what about parents who are here temporarily. What if they have a question? And the answer to that was no, they are not. And the language that addressed that and other issues, for instance, what do you do about uh, American Indians, that is subject to the jurisdiction. That that phrase is big, and we cannot we cannot ignore it. Sure, Lonkim Ark is is right, but at the same part, at the same time, there is there is there is this other part of subject by subject to the jurisdiction, and we we have to deal with that. Well, I'm going to ask uh, now for uh, closing arguments, but perhaps I can ask you, Bernie, to focus on this phrase, subject to the jurisdiction. Tell us, what, what is the status of the kids, of diplomats? If they run over someone in a car, can they be tried in court? What's the scope of diplomatic immunity? And more broadly, what does uh, that diplomatic immunity tell us about the scope of the phrase, subject to the jurisdiction thereof, and its implications for the birthright citizenship of illegal aliens? And their kids. Well, I'm I'm not entirely familiar with the entirety of the scope of diplomatic immunity, but certainly um, diplomats are entitled to a certain degree of immunity from prosecution um, in the United States. And I think that um, the I think you're right to point out diplomatic immunity as a corollary to subject to the jurisdiction thereof. So um, the idea that um, diplomats aren't really subject to prosecution in the same way as Americans means that then their children also uh, might be not subject to the jurisdiction in the way that's necessary to become citizens. Now, I think we can I, you sort of contrast this with what happens with um, illegal aliens. Illegal aliens even if they are here against the law, they are subject to prosecution here, right? So if an illegal alien commits a felony here, it's not that we would um, automatically return that person to their home country, but we would actually prosecute them, right? And so uh, they are subject to the jurisdiction of our laws, and I think that that's precisely what Wong Kim Ark says with respect to what jurisdiction means. Jurisdiction is territorial jurisdiction. 
jurisdiction being subject to the criminal laws, subject to our laws, um, and that that also confers the benefit of citizenship on those who are born within that jurisdiction. And that's contrasted with another conception of being subject to a jurisdiction, which is being um, subject to a kind of allegiance or within the allegiance or the protection of a particular sovereign, and that that's explicitly um, contrasted uh, in the Wong Kim Ark case and in other materials. So I think that there are two different meanings of subject to the jurisdiction. I think it is a very important phrase, but I think Wong Kim Ark gets it right when it's saying that it is subject to the territorial and criminal jurisdiction rather than these other forms of jurisdiction. Wonderful. Thank you so much for those uh, closing thoughts. Bill, the last word is to you. Tell us about your interpretation of subject to the jurisdiction, why you think that the children of illegal immigrants are not subject to the jurisdiction of the United States and why they should be excluded from birthright citizenship. Okay. The first thing is, I'm not saying that uh, the undocumented or their kids cannot gain a space, a legitimate space here. And I'm not saying that they cannot be naturalized as citizens. Yes, they can. But you don't, you cannot go under the 14th Amendment. Now, subject to the jurisdiction does not mean territorial jurisdiction. The Supreme Court has said that. It's something else. And in maybe an hour, you know, we, we, we might get to it. But certainly it means that the child of a person born here to tourists cannot be a citizen. We know that. Now, um, well, let, let's, 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 let's just leave it. Just leave it as I said. You have to be born, you have to be uh, subject to the jurisdiction. As to the undocumented, they have in many ways violated her law. The one, the one law that they all violate is that they came here illegally. As such, they are not subject to the jurisdiction, and they cannot gain birthright citizenship. Congress can Congress can change things, but it has to do so by way of naturalization. Thank you so much, uh, Bernie Myler and Bill Maiden, for a fascinating discussion on one of the most complex and hotly contested constitutional questions of our time. And uh, I want to also thank our great engineer, Jason Gregory, and our producer, Nicandro Inachi. Research on this show was provided by Lana Ulrich and Daniele Evans. Get the latest constitutional news and continue today's excellent conversation on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash constitutionctr, and on our Twitter feed, at constitutionctr. Send your questions, comments, and suggestions about the show to editor at constitutioncenter.org. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to We the People on iTunes. Just search for us in the iTunes store. While you're there, leave us a review. It helps other people discover what we do. We the People is a member of Slate's Panoply Network. Check out all of our great brother and sister podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply.
Despite our wonderful congressional charter, the National Constitution Center is a private nonprofit. We receive little government support, and we rely entirely on the generosity of people around the country who are inspired by our nonpartisan mission of constitutional debate and education. Please consider becoming a member to support our work, including this great podcast. Visit constitutioncenter.org membership to learn more. And please join us next week. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jeffrey Rosen.